Church, take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. As we walk through the book of Romans, today we're getting to a passage that is missional in nature. Um, in fact, this is a passage that could easily challenge every single one of us in our personal evangelism and in our world um, evangelism. I, um, I, I want to read here for just a moment some, some excerpts from an article that appeared in the Gospel Coalition website several years ago. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it was really, really long, but, but you'll get to gist from, from what I do read here. The morning of May 20th, 2000, dawned deep, excuse me, damp and gray over a grassy field in Memphis where a portable city had sprung up overnight. Thousands of muted tents stood in wet rows. Fog made everything hazy. About 40,000 college students had arrived for the fourth Passion Conference, its first outdoors. It was a day they wouldn't forget, one they described with words like special and holy and weight of glory. Even people who weren't there remember it because that day, author and pastor John Piper gave his famous seashells message. Before he spoke, Piper asked God for a prophetic word that would have a ripple effect to the ends of the earth and to eternity. Piper spoke in the early afternoon around 1 o'clock p.m. The temperature hung mostly in the 60s all day, briefly reaching a high of 72 degrees. Students sat on jackets or garbage bags on the wet grass, fanned out around a wooden stage. Standing on stage in front of a perpetually moving crowd, with a damp wind in his face, Piper prayed these words. Father in heaven, you know how inadequate I feel at this moment. And so I ask for a very special anointing and help from you. With his eyes squeezed shut, he took a deep breath and asked for grace. Another big breath and he began. You don't have to know a lot of things for your life to make a lasting difference in the world. You don't have to be smart or good looking or from a good family, he told them. You just have to know a few basic, glorious, majestic, obvious, unchanging, eternal things and be gripped by them and be willing to lay down your life for them. Five minutes in, he laid out a comparison that nobody forgot. He said, three weeks ago, we got news at our church that Ruby Eliason and Laura Edwards were killed in Cameroon. Ruby Eliason, over 80 years old, single all her life, a nurse, poured out her life for one thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the sick and the poor in the hardest and most unreached places. Laura Edwards, a medical doctor in the Twin Cities, and in her retirement, partnered up with Ruby. She was also pushing 80 and going from village to village in Cameroon. The brakes give way in their vehicle. Over a cliff they go, and they're dead instantly. And I asked my people, Piper said, is this a tragedy? Two women in their 80s almost, whole life devo devoted to one idea, Christ Jesus magnified among the poor and the sick in the hardest of places. And 20 years after most of the, their American counterparts had begun to throw their lives away on trivialities in Florida and New Mexico, they fly into eternity with death in a moment. Is this a tragedy? The crowd there knew the answer, calling out, no, it's not a tragedy, Piper affirmed. I'll read you what a tragedy is. He pulled out a page from Reader's Digest and he read it to them. Bob and Penny, 
took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. That's a tragedy, he told the crowd. He continued, there are people in this country that are spending billions of dollars to get you to buy it. And I get 40 minutes to plead with you, don't buy it. With all my heart, I plead with you, don't buy that dream. As the last chapter before you stand before the creator of the universe to give an account with what you did, what are you going to say? Here it is, Lord, my shell collection. I've got a good swing. Look at my boat. Don't waste your life, he said. Don't waste your life. Uh, That statement became a book later and, and went on to prompt a song and many other things. Don't waste your life. You know, one of the things we find about the Apostle Paul is that right up until the day he died, he didn't waste his life. In fact, right up until the very day that he died, he pursued following Jesus with everything inside of him. So it's with that in the backdrop that we come here to Romans chapter 1. We're going to start reading in verse 8. I want to invite you to read along with me. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 8, Paul says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now I want to to encourage you to pull out your handout or your phone or maybe it's the the ESV journal Bible that I told you about last week and follow along and take notes as we work through this passage. First in this passage we see that the Roman Christians are known for their faith. They are known for their faith. We find this in verse 8. Paul says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you Christians there in Rome because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Your faith is proclaimed in all the world. So Paul's actively thanking God for the faith that he sees in these Roman Christians. Did you catch the the word? It's a three-letter word there. Their faith is talked about in all the world. All the world. Boy, no, that's something to be known for. Here's one of the reasons that, that this, this great faith that they are known for is, is so significant. And we're going to go back a little bit in the church, okay? When the church first began after the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came on the believers, it wasn't long until persecution started there in Jerusalem and pushed believers out from Jerusalem all over the known world, especially the areas right around Jerusalem. 
Immediately when they did that, the, uh, the persecution started popping up in different pockets all around them. So wherever Christians went, there was persecution that, that took place. Were these Christians really willing to proclaim Jesus as Lord alone when things got tough? When the persecution started really hard, were they really committed to Jesus? Well, the, the global church didn't just persevere in persecution. It grew in leaps and bounds all over the no, known world. So then when Paul writes the book of Romans, it's about six or seven years before the insane persecution that took place under Nero after the burning of Rome. Nero blamed Christians for burning Rome, and so it began an intense persecution in which in a short amount of time, over 3,000 Christians were killed. This persecution that had been in pockets everywhere was for the first time intense in one place, right there in Rome. I can't help but think and believe that six or seven years before that intense persecution came, this great faith that is proclaimed and known all over the world was what helped the church thrive under the persecution of Nero. This church didn't know when Paul wrote this letter, when they received the letter, they didn't know how badly that great faith was going to be needed one day to carry them through what was coming. They didn't know. They had great faith. And in that great faith, the persecution led to the multiplication of churches and believers all over the world. You say, well, how in the world does that happen? When all these Christians are being eaten by lions, being used as torches in Nero's courtyard, hunted down like wild animals, killed by the thousands, how does that happen? That's one of the things our great God does. He takes the persecution of his church and he expands his kingdom through it. I can't help but think that their great faith in God was what carried them through. That faith that's known all over the world is what carried them through. We also see here that Paul prays constantly for these Roman Christians. He prays constantly for them. Verses 9 through 10. For God is my witness, Paul says, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at least succeed, at last succeed in coming to you. Paul is a man of prayer. Um, every single one of his letters to the churches, he mentions the prayer that he prays for them. He's praying constantly for these believers, and we know that Paul's sincere in this just by the words that he uses. He says, for God is my witness. For God is my witness. That's some pretty strong language. In other words, God can testify that I'm praying for you constantly, Christians. God can say, yes, Paul has been praying for you. Let me ask you something. How many of you um, have, just this morning, told somebody else, I'm praying for you? I've done it this morning. Maybe we know that they're going through a difficult time. Maybe it's a sickness. Maybe there's a death in the family. Maybe it's some relationship issue that they're struggling with. It could be just about anything, but you tell them that you're praying for them every time you see them, but in reality, you're not really praying for that person. Oh, maybe you throw up a really quick half second, Lord, would you be with that person? Would you help that person? And y'all, as I read this this week, that was convicting to me because there are times that I do say, I'm praying for you. And yeah, maybe I have. 
It's likely that I have, but I haven't been praying the way that we see Paul model prayer here. Legit praying for another Christian means that you are taking the heart that is full of pain and you are taking that heart of pain to God and saying, here, God, I don't know what I can do about this. I probably can't do anything about this, but you take it. Paul says, I prayed without ceasing. Paul continues by talking about how he longs to be with the Roman Christians. He longs to be with them, verses 9 through 11. Part of this I just read, but I'm going to read it again for context. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. If you read on down to verse 13, you're going to find that Paul has often intended to come to Rome, but he's thus far been prevented from doing so. When Paul wrote this letter, he had no idea how God was going to take him to Rome. He didn't know that his his trip to Rome was going to be completely paid for by the Roman government. He had no idea that he was going to get a guard detail the whole way. He didn't know that the Roman government was going to be the conduit for Christians and churches from from Jerusalem all the way to Rome to be encouraged and edified and built up by Paul's presence passing through them, speaking to them. When Paul's writing this letter to the Roman Christians, he's got no idea that he's going to Rome or how he's going to Rome or the impact that he would have once he got to Rome. He didn't know the opportunity that was going to be presented to him to see and be presented to the most powerful man in the world at that time in meeting with Caesar. He didn't know he was going to have an audience with the household of Caesar or the most powerful leaders in all the world. He had none of, no, no knowledge of any of this stuff. All Paul knew at this point was that it was on his heart to go to Rome. And I believe that God placed that burden and desire in him to go And I believe that God was paving the way for Paul to be used for the expansion of the gospel through his visit to Rome that would eventually lead to his death. If you go to Acts chapter 1, write this in your notes so you can go back there later, but Acts chapters 21 through 28 is the story of Paul going from Jerusalem all the way, actually in Ephesus, to Jerusalem and then all the way to Rome. And look at the impact this man had in that time. But when Paul wrote this letter to the Romans, he had no idea of all that God was going to do. He had no idea that God was going to use that trip for gospel proclamation in the entire world. Here's how God sometimes works. We see this in Paul. We see this in Christians even today. Sometimes God lays burdens and passions on our hearts, things that we know without a doubt God's calling us to do. But they come, or the way they come about, cannot be orchestrated by man. They have got to be put together by God. And you know, sometimes, sometimes getting there leads to incredible suffering and pain. It certainly did for Paul. He was arrested. He experienced harsh conditions, a shipwreck. Eventually it led to his death. But when God lays a burden on our hearts and fills us with passion to see that calling realized, there is no man that can stop God's plan. Now, I don't know what God may be calling you to today. Nor do I know all the pain and the suffering that you may be experiencing in the middle of that calling. But I do know that God will make a way to see that calling that he has placed on your life 
become a reality. He will shut doors no man can open, and he will open doors no man can close. And you know what? You may or may not see it come about in your lifetime. It may come later. Certainly did for Paul. He didn't see the full picture of his impact while he was alive. That's all right. God still got glory. Why is it that Paul wants to go to, to Rome so badly? Um, I, I really think it's a twofold reason, and one of those is found here. The other one is this. I, I really believe he wanted to go to Rome simply because of his heritage as a Roman citizen. He was, his father was a Roman citizen, so I believe he wanted to go to Rome to see this, this place of his, of his heritage, to see this great city that he only heard of and never seen. But secondly, and we see this here in this passage, I think he wanted to go because he knew how important Rome was to worldwide evangelization of the lost. The Roman Empire is vast. There was no corner of the known world that wasn't touched in some way by the Romans. If the gospel-centered church in Rome could thrive, then they could send out missionaries all over the world and the lost nations of the world could hear about Jesus. I believe Paul wants to see this Roman church thrive because of the impact, the global impact that that could have. Verses 11 through 13, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. Get this, all right, this is what I want you to catch. In order that I may reap some harvest among you, there in the Roman church, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Yes, among you, but the rest of the Gentiles. Paul wants to see these individuals in Rome come to faith in Jesus, but he also believes that if this church in Rome can be gripped by the gospel, that the entire Gentile race can be impacted. Paul knew that there's a lot of lost people who hadn't heard about Jesus yet, all over the known world, and that there might be a way for a really big soul harvest to take place just through the gospel being sent out to all the Gentile nations of the world from Rome. You see, his desire to go to Rome, I believe, was strategic. What if we, what if, what if we approached home and world evangelization the same way with strategic, prayerful hearts about what God might want to do in our world. And then we acted on it. It's kind of like we were talking about this past summer in Experiencing God. We see God at work around us. We join him in that work, serving strategically for the sake of gospel expansion. I mentioned a moment ago that I believe Paul knew that the entire Gentile race could be impacted by the gospel as it went out from Rome. When Paul wrote this in the mid-AD 50s, mid to late AD 50s, there were some people who believed even then that the gospel was just for Jews. Paul knew that that was not right. He knew that that was not right. 
Here's what he says in verses 14 through 15. I am under obligation, he says, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. The gospel is for everyone, no exceptions. Paul says he's under obligation to everyone. Everybody needs to hear the good news of Jesus. There is no one that's excluded from this. These words under obligation show that Paul had a debt to pay. W.A. Criswell was preaching on this passage in 1954, and he said this. He said, it is, a kind, it is a kind of a debt, as if you stood by the bedside and saw a fellow perishing with an unspeakable, indescribable, loathsome, and incurable disease, and you knew the remedy, and you knew how to make him well and strong. You knew how to heal him of his malignancy. You had an answer, because you know you have a debt to that man who lies there in agony and in death. It's the same kind of a debt as if you and a party were lost in the desert and you left the group searching for water to drink and you found it, a crystal pool of clear, cool spring water and the palms grew by the stream and you bathed in it and you drank it and you sat down under the palm and enjoyed it and you forgot the party that is perishing and famishing of thirst. You have a debt, he says. You are under obligation. I have found the water. I have found a spring. You have a debt to return to the party and say, this is the way of life. I have found water, water to drink. I am debtor. Folks, we got a debt to pay. We don't have to work for our salvation, but boy, do we have a debt to the lost to show them the life that we have found and that we are now pursuing in Jesus. How soon do we forget the great grace that has been shown to us? How fast do we get caught up in the life and, and that we are living and we forget about the gospel and those who don't know it yet? How soon do we forget how great the chasm that lay between us? How high the mountain I could not climb? In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken, I am forgiven. The King of kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Oh, but then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe. Out of the silence, the roaring lion declared, the grave has no claim on me. Jesus, yours is the victory. Hallelujah. Come on. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ my living hope. And then Paul says this in verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And that's where we're going to pick up next week by focusing solely on verses 16 and 17. I told you earlier of the sermon that John Piper preached in 2000 to 40,000 college students. The last thing I told you that he said was these words, don't waste your life. 
But then he followed with these words from C.T. Studd. He said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. You know, I understand that today I'm speaking to a wide range of people in, in terms of age. You've got sixth graders. You've got all the way up to senior citizens. One of the things that struck me about this passage this week is that as long as there is breath in our bodies, we can glorify and honor and obey God with our lives. Paul didn't quit. Until the day he died, he gave everything for the sake of the gospel. It doesn't matter how old you are. The gospel is too precious to drink of for yourself and then never share with anybody else. God has done a great work in providing grace and mercy to you and life to you, and he is not done using you no matter how old you are. Don't think that just because you've reached a certain age, you can sit idly by and watch the world go around. As long as there is breath in your body, there is service to be done to expand the kingdom of God, not through your power. We're going to find that next week. It's not through your power, but through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, I echo those words. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Father, would you remind us of the gospel every single day? Would you show us over and over again the grace and mercy that you have given us, the new life that we have, the eternal hope that you have promised to us? And then, Father, would we take that drink of water that we have experienced and take it to other people? Not just in our city, Father, but, Father, would you send out missionaries from this place to go all over the world to reach people with the gospel. So many, Father, who don't know you, that need to know you. Father, put a burning passion in our hearts just like you did with Paul. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to everyone who believes. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.